this podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 115 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am Jerry. Hey guys, I'm Tracy. How are you guys doing today? Oh, I did it again. Sorry. You guys are doing good, I'm sure. <laughs> she just loves to ask questions that there's no possible way you can respond to. I know. To. I just want you to know that I care about you. I hope you all had a great weekend. <laughs> So this is going to be um, a, the last show that we're doing before our live event in Nashville. If you haven't bought your tickets yet, you need to hurry up because at the time we're recording this, and we're recording this early. This mm-hmm. is actually on Saturday night instead of Sunday when we're recording. But at, as of right now, there's like eight tickets left. Oh, good. So you need to jump on there and get some because EVP Mediums is going to be doing a live spirit box session. Mm-hmm. Inside of Hell Nashville, which is an awesome place full of skulls and mm-hmm. all kinds of taxidermied animals and, and animals in jars and stuff like that, and all kinds of occult books. So mm-hmm. there's probably something in there. Well, let me tell you, I just came from my dad, and they have everything decorated. And I look over, and my sister's got a big, big baby doll head <laughs> in a jar floating in some kind of blue crab. I'm like, what the heck? I mean, it's like. Where did that come from? She goes, oh, we saw it somewhere. And I'm like, so we decided to do it. So, so No, I instantly want to do it. Now, she's a little freaky, so now I don't know about that. But anyway. So we got that. And like I said, we're going to have Macabre Melts, who makes our candles. Mm-hmm. And she's going to have a bunch of other cool stuff. She makes like the little melts that you can put. Yeah. But she does like uh, Chucky heads and Michael Myers heads and stuff like that. I didn't that. know she did that. Oh, yeah. so, oh how fun. Yeah, all kinds of cool oh, stuff. Oh, neat. And she does the woodwick candles, too. Oh, my gosh. I know how you love those woodwick candles. And, of course, Graveyard Tales will be there. Yeah. I'm so excited to meet those guys. And then we'll be there, too. So Yeah, we'll be there. But I've already met us, so. Yeah, I've met us, too. On occasion. (laughs) We do have a cool show lined up because we have the fabulous happy medium, Kim Russo, on this show. Oh, my gosh. How exciting. And She's then, a uh, sweetheart, too. She absolutely is. And I tell you what, and I, and I know I've said this to you, but the conversation that I had with her, I wish never ended. I feel like that I learned so much about the afterlife. I feel like every question I've ever had for the 50 years of my existence, she answered. Aww. And I mean, it wasn't, she didn't do a reading or anything for me. It was just... You know, I asked her some questions that I was just curious about, right. and the answers I got was just fabulous. Well, good. Now, I will say that there were uh, a little bit of phone problems in the beginning, so it kind of, not faded out, but some of it sounds a little more bassy than other parts, but you can understand it fine, and then mm-hmm. it, after about a few minutes, because this is about an hour-long interview, mm-hmm. 
But after a, a few minutes, uh, I'd say 10 minutes or so, it straightens out for the most part. Yeah. Was she and traveling or something? Or? No, but it was through regular phone rather oh, than okay. like Skype yeah, or something. So happens. sometimes that happens. But yeah, it was fantastic. It may be my favorite interview of all time. Good. And that's because it just answers so much. And I think mm-hmm. I think most of you will be impressed by some of the answers. It's really thought-provoking. So then we've also got uh, Daniel Morrison. So we know we're having that event that comes up, um, not this coming Thursday, but the following Thursday in E-Town, uh, Kentucky, which is Elizabethtown, just like the movie. Mm-hmm. The Resurrection of the Bands, that's that's the oh, bands yeah. and the paranormal awesome. that we're sponsoring. Daniel comes on for a few minutes to talk a little bit about the event. And then, uh, it, before the those two, though, you've got Sam Fredrickson from Not Alone Podcast. He lives in Idaho. We're actually doing the Idaho, old Idaho State Penitentiary tonight, and since he lives like 15 minutes away, I thought it would be cool to bring him on and, and tell a few stories and stuff about the area and what it's looked at. So Sounds great, baby. Action-packed. Action-packed. As usual, first and foremost, thank you to all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you guys for everything you do. Boy, you guys have really been uh, busy the last couple months with everything going on. Extra prayers and hugs out to you guys. We appreciate you all so much. Please take care of yourself. We appreciate you. As usual, we want to tell you that if you're struggling with life in general and you need some help, whether it just be talking to somebody or texting with somebody, Tracy and myself are always available. (laughs) But if uh, some reason that you would like to seek other help or other, um, I guess we could say, support, is probably the best term, then you've got the group that you can use. Uh, you can go to our group, and, and people are very supportive in there. You also have the suicide hotline in the United States, 1-800-273-8255. And if you're more of a texter, 741-741. And just please remember that you are important to somebody, you're whether you realize it or not. all of us. All right. Are we ready to nail this? I'm ready, baby doll. All right, we're just going to jump right into this. I love the month of Halloween. It just seems yeah, like there's this. a lot to tell. It's really fun. All right, so the old Idaho Penitentiary, which is in the Boise area, Boise, it opened its doors in 1872. It was a territorial prison, which means that at the time that it was created, Idaho was not a state. Oh wow! It was a territory. A territory. And it didn't become a state for about twenty years after that. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, so that's what it means when you hear territorial prison. Mm-hmm. There you go. It was a functional prison all the way up to 1973, so you're looking at just a hair over a hundred years. The prison was the home to some of the West's most desperate criminals. Now, for its 101 years of operation, it received over 13,000 inmates with a maximum population of a little over 600. And see, I would think over 100 years, 13,000 would be a small number. See, not me. I was think. oh, you mean, oh, over 100 years, period. Yeah, 13, over, 100, over 100 years, I would oh. think 13,000 would be, I, I would think it'd be m- way more than 13,000. I know, but, but when I first heard it, I was like, God, that's, that's a lot. But now that you say it that way, it makes sense. So it had, a mo- like I said, a maximum population of a little over 600. 215 of these inmates over time were women. No kidding. Two of the more famous inmates were Harry Orchard and Lida Southard. Orchard found himself in the prison because he assassinated the former governor of Idaho, Frank Stunenberg, in 1905. Southard, on the other hand, was known as Idaho's Lady Bluebeard. 
She was famous for killing several of her husbands to collect on her life insurance. Did she have a blue beard? I think not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would have been interesting. There were some serious riots that also occurred here. In May of 1952, there was a huge one, and also in March of 1973. We'll talk a little bit about those a little later. Both of those riots were due to the poor living conditions. And in December 3rd, which is my dad's birthday, 1973... 416 inmates were moved to the Idaho State Correctional Institution just south of Boise. Shortly after, the old penitentiary was closed. But there were some other reasons why it closed other than the fact that they just moved those prisoners out. And we'll get into a lot more in that detail. I just wanted to skim through the basic facts to, to get started. So let's look a little deeper into the facility itself. The original prison building was completed in 1872 and received its first 11 inmates from the Boise County Jail. Don't that sound just huge? The Mm -hmm. Boise County Jail. Yeah. It was converted into a chapel in the 1930s and destroyed by fire in the 1973 riot. There's so many churches that catch on fire. I just don't get it. This is more just just a chapel, though. And it was caught on fire because it was a riot and they burned it down. Okay. So the new cell house was built in 1889 and it had three tiers of 42 cells. The third tier closest to the uh, Rose Garden was Death Row. Oh, and the Rose Garden that I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. which it's a Rose Garden now, that used to be the um, execution area where they hung prisoners. Wow. (laughs) It went from one extreme to another. Right. From horrible to beautiful. There were 10 executions done here on site, and, and six of the 10 were done at that Rose Garden. Was it like hangings or shooting? Hangings. It was hangings. Mm-hmm. The administration building that was built in 1893 is the building where the warden's office was. And it also housed the armory, the visitation room, the control room, and a turnkey area. I have no idea what a turnkey area is. It's an area where you turn keys, I guess. <laughs> I but that's not it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I know what a turnkey business is. It means it's everything's ready to go. All you got to do is turn the key and, yeah, and right. you're ready. I don't, but I don't sure the turnkey area here. Okay. Probably got something to do with letting prisoners in and out or something. Yeah. Then you got the false front building, and that's what it's called. It was built in 1894, and it held the commissary, the trustee dorm, a barbershop from 1902 to the 1960s, and a hospital that was originally a blacksmith shop, but... Got turned into a hospital in 1912, and it remained in the prison until the 1960s as a hospital. The dining hall was built in 1898 and designed by uh, an actual inmate by the name of George Hamilton. No kidding. Yeah. I don't know if he had a perfect tan or... <laughs> no, that's not him. Like his name's... Well, no, maybe it was a different George Hamilton. Either way. <laughs> it also burned down in the 1973 riot. Oh my riot. gosh. What is happening here? <laughs> Then you got Cell House 2, because every good, you know, prison cell house needs a sequel. Mm-hmm. That was built in 1899, and it's also known as the North Wing. It contained two man cells. And get this, in these two man cells, there was a honey bucket. It's a honey bucket. It was a bucket that they used for a toilet. Oh, <laughs> well, they had to make it sound so sweet for and inmates burned this down during the 1973 riot as well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is the craziest thing. So let me stop you real quick. Uh-huh. You said one of the inmates did the blueprint for the jail? No, for the uh, commissary. For oh, that, for that area. The dining room. The okay. dining room he built. Okay. Well, but all these the prisoners built all of this, though. Mm-hmm. All the limestone and quarry stone. And I mean, that was 
used for this. It was all done by prisoners. So in, uh, let's see, Cell House 3, we got that. That was built in 1894, and it was the same as Cell House 2, but it was eventually condemned for habitation. So for, for whatever reason, they just said people weren't allowed to get, live there. So Oh, wow, that must have been pretty bad. In 1921, it was converted to a shoe factory. And in 1928, it was remodeled again for inmates and became the first cell house to actually have indoor plumbing. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, well, they never had no plumbing at no, all. No, they had a honey since. bucket. Oh, that's right. I guess they do have a honey bucket. <laughs> then you have the women's ward that was built in 1905 and was built out of necessity, as you can imagine. Prior to having the women's ward, the women um, were pretty much just separated by hardly anything. Like, for example, the inmates built a wall around the old warden's home, and that was the women's <laughs> area. Oh, dang. So They didn't have much. No, and like I said, they, and then some of them were actually in with the men. Get out of yeah, here. They didn't that have, is terrible. Yeah. Sorry. The multi-purpose building was built in 1923, and it was a um, shirt factory, a shoe shop, a bakery, a license plate shop, a laundry, a hobby room, and it had a communal shower. How in the world could one place be so many different things? Well, because it's a multi-purpose building. I mean, it's seriously. They <laughs> take that crap seriously. I like it how it had a license plate thing, because everybody, if you're at least of a certain age, yeah, no, that, you always think about making license plates. <laughs> then you had solitary confinement. It had two sections. The first was built in the early 20s, and it was called the cooler. Makes sense. Oddly enough, though, this room, the room that was built for solitary confinement, could contain a four to six men. It's not really solitary that confinement. That's not how that works. And then you had the second section that was built in 1926. They called it Siberia. There were actually single cells here. They had 12 different three by eight cells, three foot by eight foot cells, that would hold one inmate, uh, one inmate apiece. Mm-hmm. Cell House 4 in 1952 was the largest and the most modern. Some inmates painted the walls, and they uh, even left drawings and stuff on the walls that you could still see today. Oh, wow. And last but not least, Cell House 5. It was built in 1954, and this was the maximum security. This is where the most unruly and the most violent fenders were, were put. It was a permanent place for solitary confinement. Oh, so they had their own cell then. Those mm-hmm. people did? Mm-hmm. Okay. It also had a built-in gallow and death row. Oh, gosh. This was also, uh, or there, not this was, but there, there was also an outdoor area. And this is where the inmates would box or they'd play baseball or basketball, football, or horseshoes. Oddly enough, their baseball and softball team was known as the Outlaws. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and they would actually play a bunch of... Uh, That's fitting. Yeah, they would play a bunch of other teams that were like mm-hmm. from the Treasure Valley area. Oh. Over there. So I don't know if they were just prison teams or just other teams at all, but kind of cool. So in 1973, it was a place on the a place on the National Register of Historic Places. And in 1999, J.C. Earl donated his personal collection of historic arms and military memorabilia mm-hmm. to the state of Idaho, and then they in turn... Uh, decided to put it in the penitentiary and make like a um, museum out of it. Oh, that's cool. 
And he had stuff that ranged from the Bronze Age all the way up to uh, modern day weapons. And they said the Bronze Age could be up to three thirty or about thirty five hundred years old. <gasps> I'm wow. sorry. Let me rephrase That's that. I, no, I said that wrong. It's even better. Oh. Thirty five hundred years BC. <gasps> How can something live that long? I know it's an object, but <laughs> <laughs> you would think there would be something wrong with it. Like it'd well, be disintegrated. I'm sure it don't work properly. Well, I know it don't work, but honestly, <laughs> what? That is crazy. <sighs> I'm hungry. Okay. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I guess I need to give you a Snickers because you're not yourself. <laughs> so the Idaho State Penitentiary is considered by many to be the most haunted building in the state. I can just imagine. Even though it's been there since the 1870s, it didn't really start ramping up until 1935 when it became one of the most violent prisons in all of America. Many believe that some of these prisoners are still here today. In the early days, the prison basically was a mostly um, nonviolent prison, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. So there was very little violence going on. But then in the mid-30s, that kind of began to change a little bit. And many of the cells were outdated and overcrowded. And when um, the inmates had had enough, they started revolting. So we mentioned the fact that in 1973, 413 inmates were moved to the uh, less than the population, okay? That was done because they thought that would decrease the violence. It didn't. It didn't, uh, unfortunately, didn't stop it at all. They ended up closing down on December 3rd, 1973, because much of the prison had been destroyed by fire. 1,500 times. Yeah. So, for years afterwards, it's set abandoned. And whispers kind of spread throughout the, uh, uh, I guess, the town about unexplained, strange paranormal yeah. experiences. Paranormal investigators kind of began flocking to the place, and uh, they explored the dark corridors and the cramped cells. And what they began to experience could not be explained. So word really started spreading. So there were many reports of unexplainable sadness. Even more than than not, people experienced high levels of anxiety and dread when they went to the place. Mm -hmm. Quite a few visitors actually left in tears. Oh, my gosh. Some report touches by unseen uh, forces and heard whispers when no one was around to make a sound. Some report hearing unexplainable noises from every nook and cranny of the place. Visitors claim to hear wailing or screams deep into the prison. Wow, that's horrible. That's really bad. So its reputation of being haunted brought ghost adventures to town, where I'm sure Zach was possessed on several different occasions. So, Well, good for him. Now, we've talked about the main riots and the, and the fires and stuff, but... The reality of it is that people were, were starting to become unhappy as far as prisoner-wise throughout the years. It mm-hmm. just didn't, it wasn't just those two main riots. There were some other examples. The first one was in 1935 uh, when there was a melee in the dining hall. So this was one of those situations where people were, they said, they got were all ticked off. And they said chairs and tables just went flying all over the place. Mm-hmm. Then in 1952, there was major damage that cost thousands of dollars. When the multi-purpose building was destroyed, apparently there was like 250 guests of the state, which, you know, they're prisoners. Oh, I was going to say what? But there was like 250 prisoners took over the building in protest under the warden uh, because he broke a promise and sent some ringleaders into solitary confinement over an unrelated event after he said that he wasn't going to. that he wasn't going to do that. Then in 1966, there was a really peaceful protest 
by about 300 inmates for better living conditions and uh, to reopen the commissary. Mm-hmm. So that one was okay. 1971, there was a very hostile three-hour riot that resulted in the looting of the prison hospital and the commissary. They also burned down the social, social service building, did $25,000 worth of damage. And during that time, there were two men that were shielded and one was killed. And then you had, obviously, the riot in 1973 that did $100,000 in damage. And this riot, by the way, was caused by a false claim by a prisoner that the guards had roughed him up. So that whole 73 with all the fire and, and all that basically was over a lie. Of a well, so I don't, I don't understand why these prisoners know they're going to be there for years to come. Why are you tearing up your stuff? Why are you doing that? <laughs> What's the point? You're only hurting yourself. Yeah, they need to respect their surroundings. I agree with you. I, th- I mean, I agree. <laughs> come on now. So some of the manifestations here are cold spots and apparitions in Siberia, which was the solitary mm-hmm. confinement mm-hmm. place. The Rose Garden, as we spoke, was the uh, ever-popular place for the hangings and the gallows. They've had several cold spots out there and many sightings of apparitions walking around that area, Mm -hmm. which you can imagine that. Yeah. The Maximum Security Building, though, number five, that's where you had inmates living on death row. At one point in time, an inmate jumped off of the third floor and killed himself to make sure... He, he determined he was not going to go and be hung. Oh, he's going to go out his way. Right. So he jumped off, and there you go. Jumped off the third floor. and That would hurt worse than the hanging, I would think. Uh, you would think. He makes his presence known by making batteries go dead really quick. So apparently any time you're in there with any kind of cameras or mm-hmm. radios or anything, the batteries die super <laughs> Oh, quick. my gosh. He's also been said to appear as like a green light mm-hmm. of some sort. So apparently Building 5 is the most haunted and active building, according to all the paranormal investigators that come. So one of these ghosts is the ghost of Raymond Allen Snowden. Now, Raymond Snowden, he had a cute little nickname. He was known as Idaho's Jack the Ripper. It's adorable. He was housed here on, on uh, death row. And remember, we talked a little bit earlier that they had built a, uh, a built-in gallow yeah. as part of this. Now, they intended this room to be used for several executions. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it, there was only one. Oh, I just said one out of all they those They had people? one, and it was Raymond Snowden. Wait, he chopped his head off? No, no, they did not. Oh. That's a gallow. What'd you say? No, I'm saying a gallow is oh. what it is, and they don't chop heads off of gallows. Gallows are where they hang people. Oh, okay. So... What landed Mr. Snowden on death row here at the old Idaho penitentiary? Yeah, I would like to know. Well, he murdered Miss Cora Dean in Garden City in 1956. Why was he nicknamed Idaho's Jack the Ripper? Well, it's because Miss Cora Dean's body was found with 30 stab wounds. Wow. There were 29 wooden spikes found in her body. What? The coroner determined that her throat was slashed first. Then Snowden thrust the blade into the base of her skull and severed her spinal cord. The murder weapon was found in front of a nearby Hannafin cigar shop in Boise. Employees of the cigar shop said that uh, they saw Snowden enter to go use the bathroom. And uh, that was all it really took to get him arrested. I don't understand if you slash the throat and you've severed the spinal cord 
she's pretty much done. What is the point of stabbing them 30 times? Well, it's a mental thing. It's about control. It's about personal. You know, I don't know if they had a connection or if they knew each other or what the situation. But Mm -hmm. usually if you just brutally attack somebody like that, most of the time it's some type of a personal vendetta Vendetta. against Mm -hmm. them. So. So anyway, that they, they arrested him for next to nothing. Now keep in mind how different things are back then in the fifties than what they are today. Somebody gets arrested now on a death row, they'll be there for twenty five years yeah, with all the that's appeals ridiculous. and everything. And this guy went from being convicted to executed in like less than fifteen months. That's the way it should be. Totally. <laughs> well, I think it I think if you're going to give the death penalty and in some cases where people just flat up say, oh, yeah, I did it. I did it. I wiped, went and wiped out the whole family. Five. There really shouldn't be all these appeals and right. stuff. Right. Right. I agree with that. So, but then there are some people that are on death row that maybe should not be. Without a doubt. And I yeah. think that's why there needs to be an appeal process. But in, in cases where the person just flat up, com- says, yeah, flat up confesses I mean, yeah, why are you waiting or you've on? got videotape or something, there really mm-hmm. shouldn't be all those. So. Snowden apparently also bragged about killing two other people, but he was only convicted of killing Dean. So on October 18, 1957, the sentence of death by hanging was carried out. But fittingly, at least as far as I'm concerned, it did not go as planned. Those gallows that we were talked about, they were set up with this uh, a room with a glass window for the families of the victims mm-hmm, to be able so to watch the hanging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The room had been there for three years before it got used this first time. And so they they really hadn't had any, I guess, chances to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. So what did happen is when the guard pulled the lever, the huge iron trap doors that they had slammed against the wall, breaking the glass. Oh, golly, no way. Snowden's neck did not snap, and he hung there for 15 minutes struggling to try to breathe. The family sat there and listened to uh, Snowden gurgle and grunt. Witnesses swear that even today you can still hear uh, Snowden struggling for his last breath. And it doesn't matter if it's daytime, nighttime. Mm -hmm. People have heard it all different hours. But it's only if you're alone and if you're at the bottom of the gallows. So I wonder if that was an extra treat for the family. (laughs) You know, I'm not trying to be crude, but you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, I don't think it was an extra treat. (laughs) You're you're so much more demented than people realize. Well, I mean, I'm just saying satisfaction, (laughs) I guess. I know what you mean, but... No, I mean... (laughs) Let's just stop with what you mean, because apparently... I don't know what I mean. (laughs) Yikes. So anyway, that's uh, the story of the old Idaho penitentiary. Mm, that was very interesting. I just don't know how one thing can be 15,000 different things. That's amazing <laughs> to me. What are you talking about? Like the, you know, just all the things that it was. Well, like the shirt factory and the yeah. shirt factory? Well, I mean, but they ha- that's the job that they have prisoners do. True, true, <laughs> true. We can't just make license plates. There's only so many cars. Well, yeah. Especially in the like the thirties and the fifties right. and Yeah. Well, that was a good story, babe. Well, that there's more to the story. There is? There's a couple of stories that um Sam Fredrickson 
from Not Alone is going to come on and tell you about. Oh, good, good. He's got a he's got a couple of interesting stories that we didn't talk about in this one. Okay. So, so let's continue a little more, more of the story with Sam Fredrickson from Not Alone Podcast. And I thought it would be fun since we were doing the uh, the old Idaho State Penitentiary to bring on uh, an old friend of the show. It's been about a year and a half since he's been on here, but he lives 15 minutes from this place, so I would be an idiot to not bring him on for just a few minutes. Please welcome Sam Fredrickson. He's one of the hosts of uh, Not Alone Podcast. He hosts that with his buddy Jason. Sam, what's up, brother? Not much, not much. Just another beautiful day in beautiful Boise, Idaho. I'm sure Boise is an awesome place. I've never been there. I know um, Kentucky played there last year in the, in the NCAA tournament. And I thought it would be, you know, obviously it's a long trip from where we are, Mm -hmm. but everybody who made the trip talked about what a beautiful town it was. You know, it's, it's the city of trees, which seems a little funny with us being juxtaposed right beside Portland. But like, honestly, you think about Lewis and Clark coming over the desert, coming over the mountains and, and it is, it's just this beautiful valley full of trees and rivers and life. And it is. I've been a lot of places, and there's nowhere I'd rather be. So let me ask you this. We're going to jump right into the heart of the subject here. The reason that I said you've got to come on, because at first I was just going to pick your brain, but you told me something that I never thought I would hear anybody in my life say, and I'm like, I've got to get him on the air to talk about this. (laughs) You told me when I asked how close you were to the penitentiary, you said, and I quote, I had my senior pictures taken there. This cannot be true. Oh, it is. And I can, I'd be happy to send you some scans. <laughs> I mean, it, the cool thing about the pen and downtown Boise in general is you do have a lot of older buildings, but the pen is such a unique place. I mean, there's just nothing like it for, for hundreds of miles around, I would say. And so when I was getting my senior pictures done, Everybody, which was, I don't know, what is it, 2018, so it would have been six years ago, everybody was going to parks, and they were going up the mountain trails, and this and that, and I've just been spooky since birth, and so I decided to go to the haunted jail, but, you know, you don't even think of it that way. It's open for tours. Everybody knows it's haunted, but it's still, you. no one's scared of it. You know, you don't go there to get spooked. Sometimes on, like, Halloween they'll have lock-ins and you're locked in overnight sort of thing. But I mean, it's just a a beautiful part of the Valley. I mean, it's right next to one of our best concert venues, which is the botanical gardens. And like, I saw Bob Dylan playing there. So like all the ghosts just get to sit and listen to music all day and they're feeling pretty good about it. I think. (laughs) Well, it is a beautiful facility. I will say that. Yeah. There's like I said, there's nothing like it. And, And, the more you know about the history, the more uneasy it can be. I mean, I didn't, when I got my pictures taken there, I knew it was haunted, but I, we did a story in it in our Idaho special, which I think was like episode 20. Um, and then we also went on History Goes Bump and talked talked about it there. And I did some more research into it. And honestly, I haven't been back in it since then, but one of the more popular hiking areas called Table Rock is right there by it. And as, as I was hiking it with my dad just a few weeks ago, I just looked over into the into the courtyard and it was just like, well, maybe there is something bad in there. 
So you mentioned that that most of the people around there, they they you know, it's just a beautiful venue, but nobody really thinks about it as being like this big spooky haunted place like all the people in Louisville at think about waverly hills then do they no not at all i mean waverly hills i wouldn't i i couldn't imagine you looking at that and not even if you know the the littlest bit not feeling cold inside but you know honestly they take kids there i went there on a on a field trip in my elementary school because it doubles not only as a you know a, a wonderful haunted site but it's also just history it's history that you can step into and when you step into it, you feel like you're there. I mean, it it's so well-preserved. Um, I went there as a kid in, in elementary school on a field trip. Uh, people go all the time uh, just as something to do. I could see that. I mean, it, it does look like something that would be very educational. And, and they do, a, you know, when I was doing some research on it, it looks like that they're set up to do a lot of uh, field trips and, and strictly from a, a research standpoint and a teaching standpoint. And yeah, it looks like a really cool place to go learn some stuff. Yeah, it's a wonderful model of of keeping it alive and keeping it up to date. And, you know, you don't we really don't have to worry about losing it as a, a treasure of the city because people are always going to be interested to go see it and always willing to pay. I think it's like five bucks to get inside. Oh, that's not much at all. And it's it's so cool because of the fact that you think about how old it was. You know, the, the place, mm -hmm. it operated for, you know, a little over 100 years. And most people don't realize that it was a territorial prison, which means it was it was open 20 years before Idaho even became a state. Mm -hmm. It's been here longer than, than we have, exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Have you experienced anything at all when you were in there uh, a few times? Like you said you were young and then you're seeing your pictures, but... What was your feelings when you were in there? Just basically just a regular place? Yeah, it was mostly regular. There were one or two moments. The first time was when I was a kid and uh, as, a, as a youth going on a field trip. And we walked right past the execution area that is supposed to be the most haunted uh, part of the, the jail in general. And I do remember, I wouldn't say it was a... a full-blown haunting or anything but i remember walking past this glass window and looking into it and just the realization that like people died right there and that triggered something in me to where i don't know from there if it was an actual spirit or, or anything like that or if it was just my own little 12 year old or, or not even 12 eight or nine year old sense of mortality kicking in but that was really eerie the only true, and even then, hard to say true, but a spiritual encounter I've had is during those senior pictures, I do distinctly remember hearing cell doors clanging. But that could be, I mean, there's not people policing it. You buy a ticket, you walk in, you wander around. People could be in there opening and closing the doors uh, all the time. Um, it could have just been some kids, but I do remember being in one area of a building, hearing that clanging and kind of getting a little freaked out there. Um, did you talk about the guy whose mother whispered to him? Does that ring a bell? No, I haven't gotten to that. I can't, I can't remember his name, but the, the weirdest feeling I get is actually in retrospect in that 
so on one part in one of the buildings you have i want to say three or four different stories of cells and then you have a gated wall uh, uh, just grates all the way up and there's this story of this guy who was set to be executed and his mother right before he was led to death or re- led to the execution chamber his mother came up to him and embraced him and whispered something in his ear and after that he broke free of the guards and he climbed up i believe it was this very same wall he climbs up this wall and from there he yells i have the right to choose how i die and then he jumps and he falls four stories and he hits his head right on the ground cracks it clean open and they find and of course he dies on impact and they find in his pocket a razor blade that his mother supposedly had passed to him uh, you know, is saying, don't let them kill you. You do it yourself. You're a real man, especially back in those days uh, of the as wild west as it could have been. Well, that same wall, unbeknownst to me, was one that I, for a gag, climbed as I was taking these pictures. And there's a picture that the photographer took and I'm two or three stories up and I just climbed this wall because it was nothing more dangerous than climbing a ladder. <laughs> but when I look back at that now, I I shake and shudder every time. Every time. It's just so weird to have known that, you know, however dozens hun- or, or yeah, dozens of decades ago it was that me and that guy were in the same place. It's just it's freaky. That is kind of funny. So, wow. Hey, do me a favor, Sam. I can't imagine there's too many people listening that haven't listened to your show already because I know there's been a lot of uh, crossover listeners here. But just in case they haven't. Why don't you tell everybody about Not Alone and if they tune in, what they'll uh, expect to hear from you and Jason? Yeah, so we're a a weekly show and, you know, we do more of the, I don't know, I like to think of it more as paranormal events as opposed to paranormal places, Uh, although, of course, the two coincide. But really what you're going to hear is me and Jason sitting across my kitchen table and I'm going to be telling him scary stories and he's going to be telling me why they're not scientifically possible <laughs> to the point where sometimes it's just irritating. Um, but, you know, we've covered some of the big ones, Skinwalker Ranch and, and the Wolfmen in general. Um, we do as well more of just like subject matter episodes, for instance, episodes on the jinn of, of Arabic tradition, things like that. But really anything spooky out there, we're here to learn more about it. Uh, and again, I'm more of the believer and Jason is 100%, not even skeptical, but cynical, uh, at this point after 79 episodes, (laughs) but it's a fun combination. It is, you know, that's one of the things we get the most is that people really enjoy the point counterpoint sort of, sort of system. Sam, I appreciate you coming on. It was very short notice. I just contacted you yesterday and said, Hey, can you make some time? And, uh, you, you did. So I appreciate, I know you got a lot going on. But, uh, yeah, everybody check out Not Alone. If you haven't listened to it, subscribe. You'll love it. Well, thanks so much. And anytime you need anything about Boise or Idaho, I mean, we're your guys. We love it here. So, Well, what's the difference between a russet potato and an Idaho potato? I don't know that, man. I'm, See, all I one... know is I love every potato <laughs> that they are God's greatest gift to man. I'm not <laughs> even being ironic. I mean, potatoes are a blessing. <laughs> Dude, I'm the same way. I, there are two or three restaurants that I go to specifically for their mashed potatoes. 
So mm -hmm. that's pretty bad when you, you know, it's a steak place, but you're going because of the mashed potatoes instead, <laughs> but that's the way it is. So, well, thanks for coming it's on, beautiful. Sam, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. See you later, Jerry. I love having Sam on. We're going to have to get him and Jason both on. It's been, I can't believe it's been like, like almost a year and a half. I know. That's, since they've been that's on the unbelievable. Show. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was just happy because Jason, when they were on last time, talked about Chupacabra, which means I didn't have to do it. <laughs> That's right. I do remember that. Sorry, Natasha, because I know you're infatuated with Chupacabras that I just feel like <laughs> it's a dog. Sorry. Aww. just can't get excited about it. I get more excited about Ninja than I do Chupacabras. Oh, That's, well, that's how you feel. All right. So, um... We've got some reviews here. Before we get into reviews, though, what do you think about that Sam decided that when it was time to get senior pictures made, he was going to go to the old Idaho State Penitentiary to get his picture, senior t pictures okay. made? <laughs> that, that was pretty awesome that it, he even thought to do that. It is pretty awesome. And I'm really surprised they let him do that. Well, it's just a big museum. You can go and do well, whatever. that's true. That's true. And we're getting our family pictures made at a Cabela's tomorrow, so who would have so, thought yeah, they'd let us do talking? that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty genius. Hillbilly to the max. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and do the reviews from um, what's his iTunes, right? So yeah, iTunes reviews. So we got Demetrius Deanda, Angel G, a Ferg Runner, B I S O S K S N C E. I may suggest a name change for you. Whatever. One two three. One two three. One two three. Filthy Midget, I am reading that because that's Raymond Garcia, but it's just so fun to say Filthy Midget. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Dave from Oregon, Vanbar04, Home, uh, or Nom de Pume, that's a cool name. Mm -hmm. You got Christy from Kansas, and Liz. Thank you guys so much for your reviews this week. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you guys. And we appreciate the reviews that correct us on some things that are wrong. We do really do appreciate that because... Sometimes we don't get it right, and uh, that's a big help to us, so we don't do that again. Yeah, and uh, this was on the, what was it, the, the whole, on the Momo episode we did, the Missouri Monster, mm -hmm. when I made the mistake of saying St. Charles was... The, yeah, the capital or the... the capital of Missouri. Saint, of uh, Missouri, when, in fact, I do know that it's Jefferson City, and I've been corrected about 3,742 times on that. So <laughs> but we got it, and that's good to know. We don't want to keep repeating the wrong thing, <laughs> that's for sure. So thank you so much for that. So every time we have new listeners, I get informed again about yeah. my mistake because but that's okay. I wasn't smart enough to go back and edit and that edit and it. fix yeah. it. Oh, Even though might... I could still go back and edit it and fix it, I still haven't. So Oh, well, maybe you should do that. So my ignorance is on display. <laughs> <laughs> we do right. appreciate that. So real quick, we told you a little bit about this uh, um Resurrection of the bands happened mm -hmm. in Elizabethtown on Thursday. What is that? That is Thursday the 25th. Yes. And uh, we really would like to see you guys out there. Uh, we're going to do everything we can to make it out there. It's going to be extremely tough. We are sponsoring it, but I can't guarantee we're going to get out there. We're going to do everything we can, though. But Daniel's going to tell you a little bit more about this event, and I think you're going to like it. So this is a little short, um, about a 10-minute interview to tell you a little bit about what he has planned for that evening. Hey guys, I thought it would be good to bring Daniel Morrison on, and that might not be a name you're familiar with, but it is probably a name you want to get familiar with because he's got some groundbreaking stuff going on in the paranormal world. And Daniel, you and I go back a long ways, and yep. this all basically started, Daniel's had a fascination with the paranormal, been involved in paranormal uh, for a long time, and 
you know, he's written articles uh, in his uh, paranormal newsletter and stuff he had about us. And uh, he used to uh, run a magazine called uh, Louisville Limelight, and he featured me in that article from the comedy side. And But he's been involved with music for this whole time. And Daniel reached out to me a while back and said, hey, I, I'm wanting to do a paranormal event that involves music. You guys do all the rock and roll and the occult stuff. I thought it would be a good uh, partnership. And uh, we agreed to, to uh, help sponsor the event. And I thought it would be cool to bring Daniel on to talk about the event itself. So, Daniel, won't you take some time and explain uh, what Resurrection of the Bands actually is? All right. Well, thank you, Jerry. I appreciate the partnership and having me on the show here. Um, Resurrection of Bands is about a bunch of notebooks. Well, let me explain. I just lied to you for a laugh. But what it really is, <laughs> is in my experience with the paranormal, which is kind of here and there, I'm more of like in the, the metaphysical studies and into esoteric things. And it just seemed like there's more out there than what's what people know and when i watch some of these paranormal shows uh, i just something about that seems a little off to me my interest is seeing if there is a way to communicate with loved ones or at least find out if they are aware of you and thinking of that we've done things with family where we've sent edps out we would just bring up memories we look up photo albums we laugh at uh, our memories of what they did or for some of the much older ones who have passed away, you know, our grandparents would tell us. And then we'd seem to get direct responses or sounds or even a little music playing or we'd smell something. So I was like, wait a minute. What we're doing here is celebrating their legacy in the family. So I wonder what would happen if you celebrate a musical legacy. I wonder what people like Johnny Cash, for example, or Jimi Hendrix if they're around and aware, because the music is such a powerful thing, I wonder if they're aware when people are in their room just really listening to it, learning their music, or out performing live. Just, is there any kind of awareness when their musical legacy is being um, enjoyed in that way? So that's what Resurrection of the Bands is about. It's an attempt to have live music in a live atmosphere, and kind of an intimate setting, too, so it's not this huge hall or anything it's a more intimate setting with uh fans of their music where three artists from the local area will perform three cover songs and immediately following each set of three songs there will be an investigation to see if, if there's any communication there and the resurrection of the bands was just a, i thought a clever thing to say to call it but it's really about that it's not really about anything like you see anywhere else. So tell me a little bit about uh, the investigation. So let's say, you know, the first band comes out and you've got three artists. Was it's uh, uh, Lance Daly, uh huh, and Johnny okay. Cash, mm -hmm. and who was it? Jimi Hendrix. Uh, this for this one that we're doing, Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, awesome. So you got yeah. the three artists you're going to do. So let's say mm -hmm. the, you know the first artist comes out. Let's just say they do Johnny Cash. So okay. then what happens immediately after the artist gets off stage? How does the investigation go? What, what kind of setup are you guys going to have? Well, we have the Wabash Paranormal Research Society coming from Indiana. And the reason I picked them is because they're no-nonsense and they're very tech-savvy. So 
they have a lot of their um, little creations there to capture evidence, such as there's some kind of a EVP system they've developed. They also have stuff like the Xbox Connect, which I've seen on Ghost Adventures used before. They have a spirit box, a novelist, and other things, some 4K cameras. And as soon as the artist will come off stage, the lights will dim. And depending on the paranormal group, uh, which way we would start, but we have these uh, multitude of things going on simultaneously to try to capture any kind of footage. So we'll start with some questions, um, some personal questions, probably some honoring questions, share a memory or two, and kind of cater our questions and conversation to um, their per personal life, but also their uh, musical life. Like, for example, we know Johnny Cash did a lot of uh, concerts and playing in prisons, so we would utilize that since that was his passion to kind of gauge some sort of answers that would have you won't need to talk sentences, of course, but just some, just enough words that would have a direct answer. But I do want to say we're going to bless the place so that there's no negative interference. Nice. So we're hoping to, I don't know, keep any of the... Yeah, just a strictly guess, positive night. Yeah, positive, and we just want to make sure that the responses we get, if any, are legit and positive. Well, let me... And then... Okay, go ahead. No, I was going to say, let me just jump into... Uh, I, I just think this is a completely unique situation. That's why we're glad to be a part of it. Of uh, Just the fact of, of I, playing the music and seeing if something transpires afterwards with all the, the extra energy that should be in the room is just a, a concept I've never heard of anybody trying. Oh. I think that's the way I think. <laughs> that is. You should see one of my recipes for Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> I want to. So what else will you have going on besides the bands? Are you going to have any kind of booth set up or anything? Yeah, well, I hadn't considered it at first, having any vendors to keep it more of an intimate experience. But I do know the some people that show up will have some probably really good questions and want to uh, plot a little bit to see what all is going on. So from the first hour from six to seven, um, I will have probably just two or three vendors. Uh, one of the sponsors, Be Good the Artist, is donating one of his uh, highly popular hand-painted hockey masks. He's a great artist from Louisville. And I'm going to let him have a booth. And there's a local uh, Wiccan shop, and the owner will be there doing tarot readings if anyone likes and if uh, the majority of the paranormal group come out, there will be some of them to sit and answer any questions people may have. But it's not its not really a bunch of different vendors like these scare fests and all this. There's no like famous actors or musicians coming down. It's just a, an intimate atmosphere. But there will be some, there'll be some gift prizes, I mean some door prizes and raffle tickets. And there will be uh, some package snacks there for people but the idea wasn't to have like that huge vendor experience it was to be that intimate experience so daniel tell everybody where they can get tickets when the event is and um uh where they can find you at online all right well facebook 
uh, is the best place for resurrection of the bands and has a lot of that information. But it's here in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. It is Thursday, October 25th at the Pritchard Community Center, which is at 404 South Mulberry Street in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And the show, the doors open at 6. It may be over around 9.30 or 10. Tickets are $20 in advance or $25 a day of show. They can be bought on the DanielDigsit.com website. So it'll be DanielDigsit.com slash ROTB. And Daniel Diggs, of course, is the uh, music blog site that I have, which is really the foundation for everything I want to do. So that's where the tickets can be purchased. And, yeah, Facebook is really the best way to keep up to date with everything. Sounds great, man. I think it's going to be an awesome event, and uh, I'm sure this will be something. I know you would like to make this an annual event of, of some sort. Oh, yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the first ones are always the toughest. So if you guys are anywhere in the area and, and want to come on out, come on out and check it out. I think you'll be happy with what you see. Nice. And I, I would like to say um, we did a trial run in Louisville about four years ago. Um, but unfortunately, that paranormal group didn't get me my footage. So it was a little <laughs> embarrassing. But the experience itself was so amazing. Uh, it was I, I couldn't really describe it the equipment they had was pretty awesome we tried communicating with Jimi hendrix and kurt cobain and lane staley back then and jim morrison and although i don't have any footage on youtube there is some footage for the kurt cobain spirit box i I was able to capture that on my personal little camera uh there are some things that sound really cool like uh when we were talking about his suicide the majority of us thought what came through was not suicide. And that just gave so many chills. But because of my camera and I guess the location of it, a lot of the stuff coming through was garbled. So I would have loved to have seen what the paranormal group had caught. Well, I don't, just, I, it, I, I don't think I speak for just myself when I say most people don't think that was a suicide. So yeah, yeah, that's a little fishy. Dave, Daniel, I appreciate it, brother. It's uh, always an honor to be able to talk to you. And and like I said, I'm glad that we were able to hook up and try to coordinate this thing together. And, hey, everybody, go to Daniel Digsit and uh, check out the site. There's a lot of cool stuff on the site besides just this. But uh, grab you some tickets. Go to E-Town. Have a great time. These bands that you got are really good bands, too. So this is not going to be just some hacks up there with some instruments. These are really good bands. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we got uh, Anthony Morrison. uh He'll be honoring Lane Staley. We got uh, Mark Barnes from Magic Jack there in Louisville representing Johnny Cash. And we've got Missy Slaughter representing Freddie Mercury. And then probably some backup uh, instruments, too. That's what we're hoping for. All right, brother. Well, we can't wait to see you. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Appreciate you. All right, man. I'll see you in a week or so. All right. Bye. Does that sound like a fun event or not? I mean, how can you go wrong? You got... Very good musicians. You've mm-hmm. got awesome artists that have passed on and paranormal investigators there to see what they can pick up. Oh, I mean, that sounds amazing. I hope we can get there for sure. I think we're I think we're going to try to be there, but I, I can't be there on time because it just starts too early and they're an hour and 20 minutes away from us. So, Oh, that's very true. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, you guys try to go and enjoy it. Yep, I think you're going to have a, a good time. So if nothing else, just learn about the event and see... Hopefully, if you can make it, that'd be great. All right. 
Are you ready for the event of the evening? Yes, I'm so excited. So you haven't got to hear this yet. No, I haven't. So let's hear our interview with the fabulous Miss Kim Russo. All right, guys, I'm excited for this guest. I've been trying to, to get this young lady on for a long time, and she is super busy because that's what happens when you're the medium for the stars. So I want to introduce Miss Kim Russo. Kim, you are a true celebrity in, in the, uh, I, I want to say the paranormal world, but it's bigger than that. Because, I mean, you have been, if you're in the paranormal, like most of our listeners are, they have seen you on so many different shows. You know, you've, you've been on A&E shows like the Psychic Kids. I used to watch that all the time with, and I think Chip Coffee was on there too. You've been on Paranormal State a bunch of times, Celebrity Ghost Stories, which I absolutely love. That's probably one of my favorite paranormal shows of all time. And the big one, obviously, was when you were on the uh, Lifetime Movie Network's The Haunting Of, which was kind of a spinoff of that show. And I thought you did an absolute fantastic job. They couldn't have picked a better host for that show. So welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Oh, wow. Thank you for that. That was, that was too many compliments in one, in one breath. <laughs> I appreciate that. Sadly, uh, yeah. there, there were so many more compliments, and I was trying to narrow down what I could put in there without it being a 20-minute long introduction. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's really, really kind of you. Well, you, obviously what we didn't touch on is you're also an author. Got a couple of books out, uh, Your Soul Purpose and then uh, The Happy Medium, which is your nickname, by the way. And, and we're going to touch on those a little later on those books how the people can get them, and what the purpose of those books are. Because I think the, the aptly named Your Soul Purpose, you know, it was meant to be a book to teach people uh, about themselves and, and about uh, what they can accomplish. And I think uh, you're very inspirational in, in the way that you just try to reach out to other people. Well, thank you. I, I usually just do what, what the Spirit will tell me to do, and, and I take directive from them. Uh, so the happy medium is, is a book. I mean, I guess we could talk about that at the end, or you want to talk no, about that now? Let's talk about it now. Great, okay. because the happy medium, uh, the first book that I that I have out is uh, pretty much about my my story growing up, my autobiography, mixed in with my resistance to embrace the gift. I didn't always believe that it was a gift because I was raised in a very, very Catholic Christian household and I was really taught that this is this is not this doesn't come from God. This is from devil entities that are looking to lure you into the darkness and then capture you and then keep you ill and kill you eventually. So I was always taught that that's that's what this is. So I I had to really learn my truth as I went along my own path. And all of that is in the book, The Happy Medium, how I overcame the ways that my religion tried to keep me stifled. And, and I think all organized religions do that. Uh, and I had to find my own truth. And, and I speak about in the book how I found my truth. And, and I am not one easily swayed. So it takes a lot to convince me. And I always needed to make sure that I wasn't doing anything offensive to, to God. Uh, because I'm very Christian and, and I, I'm a woman of faith. I have a lot of faith. That's pretty much how I get through my life. And um, in the book, I also decided and I was 
told by the spirit world to share some exercises with people that they can actually do that are just starting out to try to understand their own gifts. And these are the same exercises that I teach in my own psychic development classes. So it's, it's one book with a chock full of information that is just so well-rounded. I'm so proud of it. Spirit definitely helped me write all, all the material that I write. And um, the second book is called Your Soul Purpose. That's not yet released. It will be released in April of 2019. Uh, it is available for pre-order on Amazon right now. Uh, but in April, you can buy it anywhere. Books are sold. And that's another very interesting book. I didn't plan on writing a book about this. You would think as a medium that I would be writing a book about mediumship and how, how to teach other mediums. And perhaps I would write that book one day. Uh, but this one's more about the way uh, people are floundering in their life and they, they're not quite sure what their gifts are. And, uh, you know, we've been brought so far away from our heart center through so many different, you know, worldly means, uh, you know, social media, television, belief systems, organized groups, uh, you know, how we were raised and how our parents were raised. So it's more about destroying the truth and bringing you back to the true matter of who you are and as a soul and why you're here. And in the book, I teach about how you can actually connect to your inner soul so that it can tell you why you decided to be born in this lifetime. So it's, it's an incredible manuscript and tool that I recommend to anyone who doesn't know why they're alive. Uh, some people have amazing purposes. And I wrote in The Happy Medium that my purpose up until the age of people take around 30 years old was to procreate. Uh, I definitely wanted to be a mom and a parent. And so that was on the top of my list. And I dedicated all those years in the first 30 years of my life to being a parent. Um, of course, you never really stop being a parent once you are a parent. But it wasn't until then, after I had all my three children, that the spirit world tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, now we are going to remind you of the second part of your soul mission, and that is what I'm doing now, helping many people connect to themselves, bring up deceased loved ones, just trying to show people that what the, what the naked eye sees is not all there is. There's so much more than what our little tiny eyeballs can see in front of us. And I just like to open people's minds as to the world that does exist. Uh, and, there, and, it, and there are different ways to see this world. It's not only, it's, it's very rarely with, with the human eyes, actually. But it's with all of the inner workings of the soul, the heart, and the other, the other chakra systems in the body. So I speak about that in my first book and my second book. I cannot stress it enough. And um, I definitely like to look at myself as a teacher in any work that I do, whether it be a television show, a book, a blog, a Facebook Live. I just want to teach what the spirit world has taught me. And so I'm very, very humble. I'm privileged and blessed to be able to do that. So 
So I I just give thanks every day. So let me ask you this. You you first started seeing spirits, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, when you were around nine years old. Did you see that as a gift at the moment, or how long did it actually take you to become comfortable with what uh, you were seeing in those situations? No, that was not a gift. And I, I do believe I was seeing them before mine. I can just trace, my memory can trace it back to mine. I do feel it was happening before that as well. I don't think it was a gift. I didn't think it was a gift. I was horrified, terrified every day of my life. When, when, when it would, um, the sun would set and it, the darkness would come, I just was terrified. And I, I, I would use every excuse to stay up late, not to go to sleep. And nobody knew, knew my secret. It was my secret. Um, I did share a room with my sister. And on occasion, when I would ask her if she saw what I saw and she said she didn't, I didn't probe any further. I just decided that it's me. I, 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 I'm hallucinating. But then I know I wasn't hallucinating. I would open and close my eyes 20 times in one minute, and they were always standing there, physically standing there at the foot of my bed. And I had the, the space of the bed closest to the door. And I, I look back now, and I realize why I did that. I was always looking for a quick escape. Later on in my life, I started to sleep in, in my bed with my head facing the door and my feet facing the headboard. And that was a comfortable way for me to fall asleep. It was that I just wouldn't be able to see them. Uh, and so sometimes I find myself sleeping like that even to this day. I wake up and my whole body is faced the other way. And I realize, wow, I don't know who was here last night, but subconsciously I turned my whole body around in the bed because I don't want to be bothered by these fears when it's time to sleep. So yeah, it, it was not anything that I would say is a gift. Now I would understand that it as being a gift. Um, but it comes with a lot of consequences and it comes with a great, huge responsibility. Uh, I would say as any, any gifted person of any type of gift has, you know, there's always someone who is interested in learning it. Uh, and when you help a massive amount of people, it's, it's a, it can be a, a huge strain and drain on, on any person's energy. So, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot involved with it. You know, a gift, yes, but it could be somewhat of a curse if you don't know how or what this is. You have to really be able to discern who's speaking to you, what do they want, you know. So I, I always say that I consider myself a psychic interviewer like a journalist. And so I try not to let anybody into my, my space until I determine if they're, if they're, you know, what, what is their intention? What, what do they want? Because there will always be people looking to pull from anybody, whether they have a gift or not. It's more like if someone, if someone has what you want, they don't hang around that person. You know that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that brings but, me to a question that I didn't intend on asking you, but now that you've said that, 
We've got a listener that actually posed a question to us about a situation he had, and you may actually have way more insight than we would ever have. So let me pose this to you. So the gentleman's mother passed away. He was 20. Shortly after, he said he was laying in the bed, and he felt the room change. He felt like his mom's presence was there. She actually held his hand. It was just a gentle touch. He just knew that was her. But then he said as soon as she left, the room just changed, and it was almost like a malevolent spirit came in and pressed him down and held him against the bed, against his will. And his question was, is it possible, or what did we think the possibility was, that maybe that was his mom that came, and when she left, there was a, a door open long enough for something else to creep in. Have you heard of situations like that, or what would your opinion be of something like that? Oh, my gosh. You just nailed it. That's exactly what happened. I have the chills also all over my body. That's exactly what happened. There was a portal that opened up in his energy field. Now, again, when someone doesn't know enough uh, to have any type of contact with uh, any other dimension, especially when people do anything, type of divination and, uh, you know, Ouija board, they have to understand they're opening portals to the other side. And they're very, very, very real. And you can actually see them in someone's auric field as a, like a chunk missing or like just what you just said, an opening, like a door, like a hole. And we need to always, no matter whether we intended to make contact with spirit or they make contact with us. They'll always come when we're in our, our altered state, our most relaxed state. So now I understand why they came to me at night. Uh, because that's when I would notice them. You're laying in bed. You're about to drift off to sleep. You, you know, you're going into an altered state of consciousness. And you're, it's almost the same state of consciousness when you meditate. So they're able to they're able to get in at that time, and they're able to get your attention. So, yes, uh, like any kind of, like the law of polarity states, wherever there's light, there's darkness. It, 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 you can't have one without the other one being present always. So you have to understand that in all situations. And, yes, so the darkness was right. And then people would say, well, why didn't his mom protect him? It, it's more about, it's almost like when you open your front door and one, a good person enters first, but then there's a couple of darker ones behind that just force their way in like gangbusters. It's kind of hard to keep them out, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's more in the awareness is where I feel the person can protect themselves. If you're not aware there's the vulnerability right there. If you're not aware, it's ignorance. It just don't know. So that's part of my mission too. I need to teach people. I want to teach people that a lot of these souls, they're just, they're not always so dark as we think they are, but they are looking to set up shop in someone's auric field. If they don't feel like going to the light themselves and why they can be frightened. You know, they, they, they can be kind of stubborn, too. Just their personality stays the same, even though they leave their bodies. 
So there's all, there's a myriad of reasons why they want to stay and, and set up shop in someone's aura. And they do, they always do. They always do. And they always can. And so I think that's running rampant right now in our world. With so many sicknesses are happening, um, people don't realize that a lot of the times it's, it's other energies that are pulling on them. And it's just keeping their immune system low, keeping them sick, depressed. No energy, lethargic. It, it just happens every day. So let me ask so you. I hope you, that answered your question. You did. That you answered it perfectly. <laughs> you you talked about the light, whether they want to go towards the light or not. That brings me to a question I had for you. What do you think happens the time that the soul leaves the body once a person passes on, and their soul leaves? What happens to that body? You mentioned you were Christian. Uh, brought up in a Catholic home, Christian, and and you know I'm not going to ever claim to be an expert on the Bible, but I grew up Catholic also, and we were always taught about you know basically when the rapture happened, that's when the the souls would raise from the graves and go to heaven or go where they're not supposed to go. Um, but if that's the case, why are spirits among us as we speak, or is that just you know, is that just a, a total misconception when it said, you're, you know, that, that maybe they're just doomed to walk the earth until the rapture? I'm not sure, have no clue. What's your belief on what happens uh, as far as going towards the light? And what happens if they do go to the light? What happens at that okay, point? Okay, well, I, I can only speak uh, not so much about the Bible or about Christianity, but I can speak very much so from experience of the many, many souls that I've encountered over the years and what they've told me, along with my own meditations and channelings. <clears throat> and that is, we always have free will. Now, God gave us that. We, we know that, right? That's the fact. Mm-hmm. We have free will in any decision we ever make, whether we are in our body or not in our body. Okay, so the choice is always ours. Always. And... Basically, what our mission is as a soul, okay, this is, the soul is housed in a body, but we are not our body, and we know this. And the reason we know this is because the body perishes, it's temporary, it's just the cage for the bird. I wrote about that in my book, my new book. If I compare it, compare the body to a cage, a bird cage, the bird is the soul, right? Mm -hmm. So once the soul, once the bird flies out of its cage, correct? Where would you normally find him? I mean, probably up in a tree somewhere, correct? You would think. That's his natural habitat. That's sort of where he came from. That's where he's comfortable. That's what he knows. That's what his instincts teach him. That's where his family is. That's, you know, his, all his brothers and sisters. So long story short, if you want to compare it to a bird in a cage, I was so, it, its natural habitat is not truly to be in a body at all. But we do choose to come into the body to have physical manifestations and adventures. I call them adventures. Other people call them experiences. I like to look at life as one big adventure. because, And some are good and some are not good. But in the end, it's all an adventure. When you leave, what you're doing is, the goal is to go back to your natural habitat, which is connected to the one infinite divine source. And that's God. You can call it whatever you want. You know, whatever 
religion or non-religion, there is a higher power. I think most people will agree that there's some kind of intelligence that created the heavens and the earth and makes the sun rise and set every day and the, the tides ebb and flow. We can't deny that that's the truth. We can't deny that, you know, everything will have some kind of sacred geometry in it, patterns of the universe. So where did this all happen? Where did it all come from? What makes our heart beat without us knowing it's doing, keeping us alive? This is an infinite divine energy. I call this energy God. We are not separate from God at all. The only time it seems as if we're separate is when we're housed in the body. But that's an illusion. We're never separate from God. The body is not the separator. Although we make it that. And what do we do? We put focus on our body. We put focus on our material item. We, we totally ignore our spirit and our soul. So when we leave the body, we can't really focus on the body anymore, right? Because it's kind of decomposing and it doesn't do what we need it to do. And it's, it's just the shell. So then we kind of, what do we do? Well, if you lived any type of spiritual life while you were in that body, you totally know what you're supposed to do and, and you actually are excited to do it. And that is to go back to your source, go back to the tree, go back to your natural habitat. This is, that's our GPS system. Innately, we know how to get there. Fear keeps us away from it. So that's what happens when we die. We, depending on what we believe, depending on our fears, depending on our life, depending on how stubborn we are and our free will. I know a lot of Christians that would say, I can't wait for the good Lord to come and take me away into his loving arms and light. And then I have some people who just don't know. But when, you, when you're faced with that, you will see the light. You will see your natural habitat. You will see it. It's in front of you. You can't hide from it. It will be your choice if you go with these higher beings that will take you right there. It's your choice. It's, everybody has their choice. It doesn't always happen overnight, too. I have a lot of souls that choose to stay close for a long time because they don't want to leave their family or they claim they weren't ready to die and they feel there's a lot of unfairness happening. A lot has to do with the, you know, the way you died. If, if, if you give into the process of not being in your cage anymore, if you understand it while you're alive, you'll have a much easier chance of understanding it when you leave your body. Because the soul is the same, it's the same consciousness. You're, what you learn here, you probably already knew. Hmm. But you, you can deny what you know, right? Right. So it's more about leaning into the energy of love and light and not being afraid. So if you live in fear when you leave your body, obviously you live in fear when you were in your body. And yes, there are schools on the other side. There are classrooms. I mean, I don't know that I want to say they're set up like, like the ones we have here. I want to say that they're with loving beings that are explaining things to you about what you need to let go of, what you were focusing on, and why it was maybe not the right focus. I study near-death experience, too. There's a lot of people who have lived 
after they have died. And very many of them come back to say, the life I was living had no meaning. I cared more about what kind of house I lived in and what kind of car I drove than about how, how happy I was and how how much I helped other people and how good of an adventure I had. And so people have this, these wake-up calls. You know, they get this, these terminal illnesses. And they were like wake-up calls for our soul, trying to tell us that we're not focusing on, on natural habitat and the real reason why we're born. So... That's pretty much what happens. It, what happens is what, what you allow to happen. But you'll always have your special angels, your higher beings filled with light and love coming to bring you into the natural habitat of where you actually originated from. You see, we all are connected. We're like spokes of a wheel. You can't really have a good wheel if one spoke is missing or separate from the other. So that, that's part of my teaching. I, I do want to teach people that what, what affects one person affects everybody. We're all in this together, and there is no separation. It's an illusion of separation. So, you know, and it's, it's not scary. And people, people want to know, too, like, well, what if you took your own life? Well, that's something that the spirit world has taught me uh, that is definitely goes against breaking, if, if, if you need to get out of any contract in your life, that is probably not one of them, okay? They can let you slide on mostly anything, but when you break that contract of agreeing to come to the earth and then bailing out early, depending on how that happened, if you have a mental illness, it's not really held against you. If you, because that mental illness just means you're, you're very far away from the light. That's all it means. It doesn't mean it's separate from you. You're just far away from it. But you can always get back to it. Uh, and even when you do intentionally know that you're taking your own life and you broke your contract, even at that, you're not punished into the fiery pits of hell. The only thing that happens with that is you may have to it's like a work-study program, right? Like, well, home arrest. You have to have, like, more intense lessons. Or you can come back and do it all again. But you kind of have to follow through till the end. Till the end. When, when the creator says, okay, your contract is up, naturally up, and you can, you can now come back home. That's the only thing I would tell people is um, suicide's not the answer at all. We're really just copping out of of the harder lessons, the harder, the not so pleasant adventures. But if you're here and you can find your way back to the light, you don't want to leave. You want to stay because it can be heaven on earth. It can be. People don't understand that it is. You know, and listen, we're living in a tumultuous time. We're living with a lot of dark forces, not just the ones that can't be seen, but the ones that are seen. They're everywhere. They're in our government. You know, they're everywhere. Political systems, you know, greed, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's ways to sort of live with it without becoming part of it. And I, and this is part of my book. I, I really do teach people how to stay in their own light um, to get through the darkness. 
because there's plenty of that. But you can't avoid darkness or light. It's the same spectrum. It's in the same spectrum of light. So just stay in the light side, and you'll have every adventure that your heart ever wanted to have. That's pretty much the best way I can sum this all up. Did I lose you at all, or did you, are you following? No, I'm following. I'm, I'm fascinated, to be honest with you. It's just some of it is like the classroom setting after you pass to prepare to come back. I've heard that from various people before. And the same thing with the suicide. I've heard I've heard some variations of that before. But a lot of the other stuff, it's the first time I'm hearing the whole approach of free will. I've never thought of having free will after you left the body. And, oh, absolutely. And that's a fantastic yeah. It's actually a very nice revelation to, to think about. Yeah. Well, my, my guides told me, and they make perfect sense. Uh, they know that everything to me needs to make sense. So that's how they present things to me. So, <laughs> Our souls were given by, uh, you know, by God of free will. Our souls. And the soul is, is endless. It's ageless. And it has many different homes. This is just one, one of them that they have. We, we're in the, the three-dimensional home right now. Right? You know, I have a home in Florida. When I go to Florida, I'm in my Florida home. So it's the same thing. I'm in my three-dimensional body right now. This is my home for now. But the soul has many different homes. We can live on many different dimensions and planets, and we probably have. I won't get into that because that could be a little too deep for people. But I like to focus on the home we're in now. We're in our bodies. We're in the three-dimensional flesh. This is where we chose to, to set up top and pretty much... You know, it could be wonderful or it could be miserable. The choice is always yours, always. People people always say to me and they write emails to me, Oh, well, Kim, how could you say that when, when, I, when I, you know, I had an abusive father, an alcoholic mother, and I lost everything, my house went on fire. Well, I would so talk about reevaluating your home and your foundation and your belief system. And where do you live? What part of the spectrum do you choose to live? Because you could, you know, that could be other people's path, but they're your family, right? Your family could have this misery attached to them. And this is all their free will. They're choosing to drink and to have this darkness around them. They're choosing not to have light in their life. But nobody is doomed by their past ancestors or generations before them. When you know you have a choice, there are no more excuses. You don't have to follow suit. And that's a fact. And that's a big, big lesson that the other world wants to teach us. When you know better, you do better. Wow. And sometimes people don't know better, so I feel like at, but someday they will know better. It's just a matter of when each person's soul gets that tap, like, to wake up, wake up, come, come into the light. You don't, you don't have to leave your physical body to connect to the light or be with the light or live in the light. It's, it's part of us. It's not separate. It never was. But we believe, we were taught by our religion. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I laugh about that because it's just to keep us in fear, right? So right. if you were raised Catholic, you know that as much of a loving God as we have, we have a very vengeful God, too, right? You Absolutely. learned that. I know you did. Absolutely. 
there's nothing vengeful about God ever, ever, ever. That's just a way to scare us and control us into being good little boys and girls, you know? But it doesn't serve our soul's purpose. So let me let me ask you this then. And this is strictly opinion. Um, is there a hell? Or was that part of that vengeful fear in God mentality? Okay. Well, there is, when you think about the light, there is a consciousness that connects to the light. It's joy. It's bliss. It's empowerment. It's love. It's all the good things. It's the high frequencies. I want you to think about a thermometer and the range on the thermometer. You have extreme heat and you have extreme cold. But that's the range. It's in the same spectrum. The spectrum of light, all the colors are in it. It's the same with consciousness. The hell is the only place that's very far from the light, like a thermometer. It's the opposite end of the light. So yeah, you can have hell on earth, and you can have hell in death. When you're in hell, that's the spectrum of light you're living with, whether you're in your body or not. You can still continue to have hell when you leave your body, because it's your state of consciousness. It's how much how close you are choosing to get to the light, which is the best part of the spectrum. If you talk about it in, in terms of frequency and vibration, the light is the highest frequency. Hell is the lowest frequency. Whew. And the law of polarity and the law of duality, is, that's why it's a law. You can't have one without the other, the yin and the yang. It cannot exist without each other. So within it, and that's why I'm called the happy medium, is you need to find a balance. You need to find the ground, the middle ground that works for you. And you always have a choice to get out of your own hell. Nobody is, you know, do, do I believe in a, in a devil with a pitchfork? No. Do I believe that the, the devil was a, a fallen angel? Absolutely. You know why? Because that was an angel who had free will, who chose to go to the other end of the light. That's all that is. He wanted to be different. It wanted to have power on its own. It didn't want to give God the glory or the, or, 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 or the uh, you know. So it, it, it does have its own power, but it's in its own darkness. And, and that is not a pleasant place to be. The only way that darkness can have that kind of power is when it brings other people to its own level. But there's never any um, love or enjoyment that will ever come out of that. Ever, ever, ever. There will always be pain, sorrow, darkness, depression. So people, when they, when they pass away and they say that they went to hell, you can't tell me they're like they weren't already in hell. They had to have been. Makes sense. And their free will is not choosing to go to the light. So you got to be careful. Well, where are you choosing to go? So then there's that wonderful purgatory that the Catholics created, <laughs> which it kind of is a level. 
that you kind of just hang out in limbo, and that means you're just not making your choices. You, you, you're not you're not ready to make your choices, so you're just hanging out in a stasis energy. You're just stagnant. You're not moving anywhere, not going back to your light. And when we go back to the light, you know, we can help other people here. We have joy, peace, bliss. Now, I've never had a near-death experience, but anyone who ever has, they don't want to come back here because they have never experienced the amount of love that they've had there. They said there are no words to this frequency. It's almost too high of a frequency to exist on a dense reality like 3D. We're, we're, we're too dense here. Right. So, so, so that's my take on it. And of course, you know, each religion can can create characters that connect with this good and this evil. But darkness is only absence of light. When you walk into a dark room, what do you do? You turn on the light. Because when you're in that dark room, you can't see. You don't know what's in front of you. And you don't want to be in the dark. Nobody wants to be in the dark. We turn on the light. This is what I tell people. Turn on your spiritual light and you will see. Kim, I got a couple of more quick questions for you and I'll let you go because you've been so generous with your time. I see with a lot of mediums when they talk about um, interacting with the spirit world that there's a language. And I know you've, you've said before that you had to learn the language. And most times... They'll talk about their symbols. Hey, the spirit has given me the symbol of this, which usually stands for they left the earth way sooner than they intended to. Or so is is that the situation to where the spirits can't communicate just like on a talking and plant a, a, a sentence in your ear? Or is it usually all wood symbols? And why is that the case? Yes, that's, that is true. Many, many um, spirits use symbols to communicate. Like a game of charades. Um, that, to me, is a spirit. Well, see, there's, there's many different personalities of people and the way they communicate when they're in their body, right? Mm -hmm. So you have good communicators, and then you have people that it's like pulling teeth to get them to, to talk or to explain themselves. A lot of people are not good communicators, and when they, when they leave the body, they're not good communicators. So they'll send you signals uh, which are actually spirit vibrations that translate into pictures and thoughts in the medium's head. So it's, the sim it's all similar to radio frequencies that translate by the medium of the radio, um, cell phone signals that are in the air that are grounded into the cell phone. The cell phone is the medium, and the descrambler. The television is the same for, you know, airwaves of uh, cable, cable TV. So it's the same. The medium is the grounding force to descramble the signal. Now, some signals, depending on how the spirit knows how to communicate, I find that uh, spirits that spoke another language than I do typically will flash a movie in my mind. Um, sometimes they'll show me a movie that I've seen, like, an, a, like a literal movie. 
and I'll see a scene in a, in a literal movie I've seen, or I will just get a flash of like I'm watching one of those homemade uh, versions of your, you know, life when you were a kid. You have those homemade movies. A lot of the times it looks like that. And so they don't have a language to communicate. I know that they didn't speak English when they start to show me movies. Um, and some spirits who are not the best communicators, they'll come across like with the game of charades where the medium has to figure out what this means. So I encourage any medium listening to have uh, create their own library of symbols and the same, your own spirit guides will help you develop this language. So they'll use your own frame of reference from when you were even a child to give you this language, uh, this index. So, like, if I see, um, I have a dog that we grew up with. And when I, they show me my little white dog that I grew up with, I know that they have a little white dog. And I'm supposed to say that. So that's my symbol, you know, but that was a dog when I was growing up. Um, but each medium will have a different symbol based on what, what they've experienced in their own life. And like I said, the, the way that a spirit communicates is, is pretty much the way they choose to communicate. So that's why some readings are better than others. Some spirits have a way better communication system, just like people here on Earth. And my spirit guide told me that during a meditation one day. I did uh, two or three readings in a row, and two readings were really good. And one of my readings was like, it was so-so, and I I wasn't happy with the reading. I didn't think it, it really did much. And I was very much struggling trying to get information from the spirit. And I, I did a meditation, and my guide said, Kim, that just wasn't even a good communicator when they were alive. And that was a light bulb moment for me, aha moment. I said, but of course. It's not, it's like, it's like when your TV gets static, it's the signal in the atmosphere is not clear. So it's going to come through the medium of the TV as static. Same thing with the medium. Same thing. So I really should write a book about this because a lot of mediums popping up from everywhere, and they're not understanding these things. I can only speak of it from experience, trial and error, <laughs> and my guides. So let me ask you this. Do you have, I know you, you've been doing this for a long time, so many readings, you probably couldn't even begin to put a number on how many you've done, but do you have one that just stands out that's like, out of everything I've ever done, this one just sets itself out because of either the closure that you gave somebody or maybe solving a crime or something like that. Is there one that just stands out for you? It's true. Um, one in general is a generalized, whenever I read for parents that have lost children, nothing fills my heart more than bringing their child back to them for the moment. Nothing can fill my heart more. I'm a mom. I'm a parent. I get it. I can't imagine it. And to me, that's got to be one of the biggest horrors on the planet. And if, and when I can bring a child back to their parents, even if it's for just the moment or the session, and truly bring them with proof, validation, 
information that only the parent would know. Nothing gives me great. That, that's when I say to myself, this is why I do what I do. Because that is just, for me, incomprehensible to lose a child. <laughs> the second reading I did that still blows my mind was when one of my loved ones passed away. And he passed away with another gentleman in a plane accident. And the other gentleman's girlfriend came to me for a reading, and I didn't know who she was. And her boyfriend died in the same event as my family member. It was the only two of them that perished in the same plane crash. And I was giving her her boyfriend, and I explained how he died. I explained everything. I said his name. And after the reading, she told me that the man I was just in touch with was the man that died in the same plane crash as my brother-in-law. Oh, wow. It was my brother-in-law's plane. Now, I needed to take 10 deep breaths because I did not realize my guide specifically shielded that from me. Because had I gotten my own emotions involved in that reading, that woman would not have gotten the, the, the correct reading. I would have been too emotional if I knew it was the same event that my brother-in-law passed on. Because where this man was, my brother-in-law couldn't be too far away. Uh, so that was a shock. of I, I learned something that day, and I, I, I almost felt tricked by my spirit guides. Like, wow, how come I didn't know that this is what it was? And they said, you couldn't know that because it, it, this is a professional job that you were doing for this woman and it would have tainted her reading. It was incredible for me. It was incredible because I was reading my own family without knowing it, if you know what I mean. Yes. The same event, I should say. Wow. So um, I get it now, though. I totally understand it. I get why they did that. But I'll never forget it. And um, there's, there's amazing readings on the haunting of too. One of my favorites was with uh, Roddy uh, Piper, the wrestler. Right. We we talked about that a few minutes when we got to meet in person. That that was that I remember bringing up to you that that was my favorite episode out of all of the the episodes that you've done, which there were God knows several. And but that one just stands out. He just seems like such a tortured soul. He was. He was. And I pray he found his peace. And I believe he had some kind of precognition that he wasn't long for this world. I truly believe he, his soul knew he wasn't going to be here long. And perhaps maybe he didn't want to. I, I don't know the reason, but I, don't, I do know he got a natural cause. So yeah. uh, perhaps he got a, a heartbreak. His heart was broken. And he died of a heart attack. So, it's a you very, know, very there's sad a very episode. close correlation there. Very close correlation. You know, the thing I love about that that show you did, The Haunting of, I think, is one of the best three or four paranormal shows that have ever come out. And I mean that. I, I loved, and I put this in the same four of the uh, Celebrity Ghost Stories. And I just felt like, when I watch Celebrity Ghost Stories, and this is not a knock against the show, I just felt like some of the stories I heard were uh, somebody's just 
wants to be on the show to either get the paycheck or I don't, I, I just, not all of them came across as completely believable, but the ones who I came understand. on, okay, good. So the ones that came onto your show, I didn't ever have that feeling about. It just seemed so genuine. And, you know, I, another one that stands out to me besides Rowdy Roddy Piper, and we did the story on our show just because I thought it was fascinating, was Vince Neal. Uh, with with him oh, and his yeah. his daughter, and you know, oh, yeah. it just I think the stories that don't have a tidy little bow wrapping them up are the ones that are the most believable. And I mean, in his story, it was just you know she was there and she was there for a couple of days and then poof she was just gone. And you know those stories just to me to stand out as something that would seem like what would happen rather than you know, hey I'm telling you bye and here's one you know she just disappeared and didn't hear anything from her and you know i just i just found that heartbreaking uh to and i felt with him even though i've never lost a child i i just felt like i i, I semi knew what it was like just by his feelings and the way he told the story yes yes you, you have uh compassion and empathy and you were feeling his pain and his grief and yes and and, and you know to that end that's what i meant when i said nothing gives me more gratitude than, than bringing a child back to a parent. Um, and I would want someone to do that for me. God forbid that ever were the case. Uh, I, I, that's just, that's something you, you can't just, money can't buy ever. Uh, but you, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, a lot of the episodes, I did have a say, uh, pre, pre going into it, um, assessing, the celebrity, reading them from afar, because I do have that ability. And I have told the producers of several of them that the story was not adding up and it was not true. And we, we pass on those stories. We, did, we do pass on stories. Um, I do evaluate them. And if, if I don't feel they're authentic, I can't be authentic. And so I'm very grateful to the production crew that honored my my psychic impressions, they always honored my vibes, and they allowed for it, and so I do believe that's why you're seeing what you're seeing, because, you know, I can smell fake a mile away, a mile away, and if they're fake, I, I'm not an actress, I can't put it on, I can't be fake. Um, I think one of them did slip through the cracks, to be honest with you, oh, really? um, although I do we think it slipped through the cracks? I just think he wasn't willing to be completely honest. And, and that was Anthony Michael Hall, in all honesty. I don't know if you saw that episode. That's, he was. Uh, I, I'm sure I've seen it. I don't remember the exact details of it. Oh, well, if you saw it, you would never forget it. He, he gave me he gave me a really hard time. He almost hit me. He almost hit me. He just didn't want me to go into his past. Hmm. Uh, which is where a lot of his demons originated, but he didn't want me going there. So that was that was an episode that uh, a lot of people a lot of people talked about. Well, I have to go back and make sure I check it out now. So let's let's do this, Ken. Let's end on a really fun question. Do spirits ever ruin surprises for you? Like if if your husband Anthony had a surprise birthday party or anniversary gift or something, do they ever kind of whisper in your ear and, and tip you off? Um, I want to say 
that, yes, uh, they tell me a lot of things about my kids. Because that's a job that doesn't come with a handbook, all right? So they give me a lot of guidance where that's concerned. But there was one time that my husband was trying to give me some kind of surprise uh, gift or party. I don't recall what it was. And he (laughs) he was gone for quite uh, a big part of the day with no explanation. So, when I kept probing, where were you? Why hadn't you answered my call? My guys told me, lay off him, Kim. He's got something in store that he's planning for you. So, in other words, I could have really let my mind wander and go in all different directions. They didn't tell me what it was, but they, they settled me down. They said, <laughs> stop it. He's doing something for your birthday. So when I understood why he came across so secretive and mysterious, I didn't need to know what it was, and I really didn't even want to know. But I did know that's why he was gone for most of the day. And so that made me laugh. I'm like, okay, thank Hmm. you for telling me, because my mind can wander just like anybody else's. Like, where is this man? Why is he gone? Why can't he answer his phone? So, yeah, they, 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 they can give me information without ruining surprises, just like a parent would do. Like, listen, you know when a parent says to you, uh, because I said so, that's why? In other <laughs> words, they're saying, you have to trust us on this one. <laughs> and they do say that to me quite often. And I don't even question it anymore. I'm like, all right, I trust you. I got gotcha. you. Because eventually I know it will be revealed. It's just not in that moment. I have to have patience, and I have to allow other people to have the pleasure of surprising me, if you will. And even my own guide, sometimes they tell me, we can't tell you, Kim, you need to live this. You need to make decisions. We can't give you the answers. They tell me that all the time. Well, I appreciate your time. And I want to say, before we get off here, we had the privilege to meet briefly, you and, and your husband, Anthony. And you guys are every bit as super nice and genuine as you could ever hope to to meet of somebody that's got the uh, um, the fame that you you have. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that's not always the case. I've been lucky to meet a lot of celebrities, and some of them aren't always uh, as nice in person as they seem uh, on television or the radio. And you guys are every bit what you seem, or at least with you. But so I mean, I, I wanted to say that. Uh, to everybody that you're you're 100% the real deal and it didn't do anything but make me an even bigger fan after meeting you in person thank you so much that's really nice of you I appreciate that Kim, and just Kim, try to be true that's it live your truth and uh, it, you know when everybody just is true other people can sense that and I think that helps other people it inspires people to be true as well but thank you for saying that Anthony is my husband, and he is um, a huge grounding force in my life. I have to say, I can't really do any of this without his support and his grounding energy. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm blessed. I'm, I feel very blessed. I have no complaints. Well, and you are, as well, very kind, and that's one of the reasons I agreed to do your, your interview, because I can feel 
you really want to spread the right message to people. So I appreciate that. And I definitely appreciate that because I know, well, like I said, we, uh, we're definitely not as big of a show as some of the interviews and stuff that you've done. So we, we feel very honored that you gave us that time. Why don't you take a, a well, second to tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and how they can buy your books and find out what's going on with live events and stuff. Absolutely. They can always reach me through email on my website, kimthehappymediums.com. They can see where I will be publicly. They can buy my book. I should say books, plural. That's coming soon, my new book. They can contact me there. To, um, unfortunately, I'm not doing any private sessions right now, private reading at the moment, um, but I will obviously alert everyone through my website when I will open up appointments again. They can sign up for my mailing list on the contact page so they can learn about everything that's happening in my world. Uh, and uh, that's the best way to get me. I do, I'm very active on Twitter, Facebook, Psychic Medium, Kim Russo. And I do have Instagram, which is Kim Russo Medium. Uh, and I would love it for anybody to follow me. I felt, you know, I, I'm very much as I am, as you hear me, I, I post uh, inspirational posts that, Sometimes my spirit guides tell me. Uh, they call them messages for the masses. Yeah, so that, that's pretty much it. My website is my uh, my go-to place and my social media platforms. And my books. You can learn everything about me. And uh, I really do appreciate this time. It's uh, It's been great. You asked me some good questions there. Well, I tried to. I, I've listened to a bunch of interviews with with you before, and I tried to ask some stuff that I hadn't really heard you respond to as often as others. So, that's what we try to do here. Very good. Very good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Kim. And we're going to post all the links to your social media and uh, and your website, and uh, probably the Amazon links to the books and everything up on our page. So, uh, hopefully, you get. Uh, we got a, a very great group of listeners out here. I'm sure they'll be snatching up a lot of your books. I appreciate that. Good. I hope. I hope. Uh, I hope the books can help them. Absolutely. Thank but you so much, Kim. That's you, the reason I wrote. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, so are you. Take care. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye now. So that's the one and only Kim Russo. Was that not completely fascinating? Yes, it was. It. She just really knows her stuff. And she is a sweetheart too. Yeah, she's she's really is an excellent teacher because mm-hmm. every time that I I would just sit me here listening and I, and I would just catch myself just thinking like I was in class. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But she's more fascinating than most of the teachers I had in well, the past. So. Yeah, well, good. Her husband's a sweetheart too. Yes, he is. Super Very nice, nice guy. That was a treat for sure. And uh, I want to thank Marianne Farley. For helping us get that set up. Yes. She's awesome. Yes. And she was at Scarefest, and, and uh, we've, we've tried to reach out to get a hold of Kim, as you can imagine. Oh, gosh, it's she's very so busy. hard. Yeah. And she's very busy, and it's just, it's hard to get in touch with somebody like her. Mm-hmm. And Marianne was at, at Scarefest, and she said, Hey, I just happen to be, you know, her volunteer helping out with her booth. And I think Marianne's done it for like 
three or four different yeah, years that yeah. she's been there. She gets to always go back to that. So she had a little bit of a rapport with, with Kim and her husband, and she had us come up there and hooked us up, and we greatly appreciate it. We that sure awesome. do. Yeah, very honored to have her on our show. Well, that's this week's show. Next week, we'll be doing a show from the Nashville area. Mm-hmm. We'll let very you excited about speculate that. Speculate what that may or may not be. <laughs> and then the next week, we've got the Cincinnati area. I know. So excited. And so we'll be doing a show from Ohio for that one. So, yeah, two back to back live shows. And then smack dab in the middle is the resurrection of the bands in Elizabethtown. I know. It's Halloween season. It is. Great times. So I'm excited. And, uh, We've got a Patreon episode for you guys that get the five dollar and up, and mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna. You know, we did a live event. The very first live event we ever did was at um, Bardstown. Bardstown. It was Talbot, and we uh, the Talbot Tavern, and we got to go next door to uh, the Jailer's Inn, which yeah. was the original jailhouse, which very is cool. the stockades, and they did hangings and everything out there. Very haunted place. And I thought for our Patreon episode, since we weren't able to make it back there this year, we were invited to go back, but that's the same night as our Cincinnati show, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And that's where Tanya, who helps do uh, yeah. some of our research, she decided that I asked her for some help on this one. And she's going to give me the information so we can do the Talbot Tavern and the Jellers Inn and all the hauntings for our Patreon episode. Yeah, that so place that. is really interesting. Very, very, very interesting. And I haven't talked about it much, but we may have a surprise for you on Halloween night. And we'll just leave it at that. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We love you and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. We love you.